Holy fuck, I'm so nervous. I'm not even sure if I know how to do this anymore. What the fuck is going on here, child? So, Daisy Louisa Hancorn was born on the 1st of June, 1886, meaning she's a Gemini, which, I mean, makes a lot, makes a lot of sense for what she's done in today's case. Um, she was born at Seven Fountains near Gramstown, near Gramstown, here in South Africa, and she was one of 11 kids. Not much is really known about her childhood or her relationship with her parents or whether or not she grew up in a healthy household or not. But I mean, it's 11 kids. What's healthy about 11 kids? So like I said, not much is known about her childhood or how she grew up, but when she was 12, she went to live with her father and her two brothers in Bulawayo, Rhodesia, which is now known as Zimbabwe. Three years after that, when she was 15, she became a boarder at a boarding school known as Good Hope Seminary School in Cape Town. She moved back to Rhodesia in 1903 after finishing school. Here she was about 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. At the time, she stayed there a bit, for a bit, until she realized that, I mean, girl, this rural life ain't for me, child, and it was kind of, like, unexciting for her, nothing was going on, so she moved back to South Africa and enrolled at the Beria Nursing Home in Durban. From time to time, she would visit home, which is Rode, not home, is it a home? Because she was born in Grandstown. But like Rhodesia, that's where she grew up, kind of. So she would visit Rhodesia sometimes, pop in, go see her father. But on one of her visits to Rhodesia, she met and she fell in love with a man named Herbert Fuller, who was also known as Bert. Um, Bert, Bert, not much is known about Bert. But what we do know is that he was a civil servant in the Native Affairs Department at Broken Hill. Now, the Native Affairs Department was a department that was developed to be responsible for the welfare of black Africans living on tribal trust funds. Um, It was established by the British South African Company, South African Company, after the Angola and Debele War had come to an end. Um, So that's where Bert worked. Well, the two had planned to get married in October of 1907, but sadly, Bert contracted black water fever, which is normally caused by a malaria infection, which ultimately results in kidney failure. And after he contracted that, he shortly died after his diagnosis with Daisy by his side because she was the model girlfriend. On that very day, they had planned to get married on so Bert died on their wedding day girl why don't you just take him to the altar and then, like he would have died can't you like get a priest to come to the hospital so you get married I'm sure I've heard I've seen or heard that somewhere anyway when Bert passed on he left a will stating that he would leave his fiance about a hundred pounds which in today's money I'm not sure, but from my research, so take this with a pinch of salt, 
for my research it's about 263,000 rands um yeah so Bert left Daisy some money and he died so at least she didn't need to marry him you know that's a man you see put me in your world before you get married that makes sense doesn't it I think it does Welcome back to another episode of Missing and Murdered. Um, it's been a while, but I mean, it's been a while for a lot of things in life. Um, today's case about is about a Daisy Louisa Hancorn, or at least that's, I hope that's how you pronounce her name. So let's get into it. Now Bert's dead, Daisy's single, but Daisy wasn't single for long because in March of 1809, about 18 months after the death of Bert Fuller, Daisy met and quickly married a man by the name of William Alfred Cowell. William Alfred Cowell was a plumber based in Johannesburg and at the time they got married, Daisy was 23 and William was 36. And together, the couple had five children, who unfortunately, four of which died in very early stages of their life. The first children were twins, and they died in infancy. The third child died of an abscess, which was on their liver. And the the fourth child suffered from convulsions and bowel troubles and died at the tender age of 15 months. Obviously, medicine at that time, 1909, hadn't developed to where it had today. So, losing a child in its infancy wasn't really frowned upon and it was kind of expected and kind of normal. So, nothing was weird there. The couple, however, William and Daisy, had only one surviving child and that was their last born. And that child's name was Rose. Cecil, not to be confused with the racist fuck Cecil Rhodes. And Rhodes Cecil was born in June of 1911. Daisy and her husband seemed to have gone through a lot as a couple. Obviously, they had lost four children, but in despite of that, they had stayed together for years and loved day to day as a couple that seemed like content and healthy. However, that was until the early morning of the 11th of January, 1923. And I say this because this was when William became very ill, like violently ill. And he had become ill after taking some Epsom salts. Epsom salts and he got those Epsom salts from his wife. Not sure why he was consuming Epsom salts in the first place, but nevertheless, he did. After after taking the Epsom salts, like I said, he became violently ill rather quickly. And Daisy, like the wonderful wife that she was, called a doctor to come and attend to her husband quickly. 
when the first doctor attended to him, he really didn't consider William's condition serious. He just prescribed him a promide mixture, and a promide mixture is potassium and a promide compound that was frequently used as a sedative in the early 19th and 20th centuries. And it was typically used to treat headaches and stuff like that. So that doctor just gave him a promide mixture and said, you'll be fine, G. Like, don't worry about it. Even though he was prescribed the promide, his condition got progressively worse and he started, like, deteriorating quite quickly. And not not long after, his condition took a turn for the worse. Daisy as a wonderful wife that she is saw that her husband was suffering and it was getting worse so she called the neighbors to come and help and also called for another doctor like i said william was getting worse and he was like deteriorating at a fast rate and daisy was calling neighbors and she also called another doctor while all of this was happening when the doctor arrived William was in a much worse condition and he was in an excruciating amount of pain and he had started foaming at the mouth and he was turning blue in the face and this happened until he actually died it was it is also said in sources that he was like screaming like if you touched him like a finger or even a hand like he was in like he was dying and I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm not, I promise. The second doctor, I guess, was not as cool as the first one because he looked at the s- symptoms that William was experiencing and he, suspe- and he suspected strachanine poisoning and refused to sign the death certificate. So subsequently, because he was, suspic- he was suspicious of the circumstances of William's death, a post-mortem was performed by the acting district surgeon, whose name at the time was Dr. Fergus, and William's formal cause of death was ruled to be a, was ruled to be chronic nephritis and cerebral hemorrhage, a a cerebral hemorrhage. Daisy Cowell, like she was the first time, was the sole beneficiary for her husband's will, and she then inherited about one thousand seven hundred ninety-five pounds. Like I said before take this with a pinch of salt which in today's money is approximately about two mil in 1925 three years to the day after the death of her first husband daisy cowell married another plumber by the name of robert sprout and he was about 10 years her senior first of all miss daisy likes a plumber she knows how she knows that she wants a man to know how to lay down her pipe chair she was 36 and he was 49 the two were happily married with no kids but that was until october 1927 and this was when robert sprout became violently ill doesn't that sound suspicious because who else became violently ill randomly on a random day mr william Robert was in a great amount of pain and he was also suffering from severe muscle spasms. However, Mr. Robert recovered. 
but he doesn't he didn't recover for long because a few weeks later he suffered a fatal attack a fatal heart attack after drinking some beer in the company of his wife and his stepson Daisy and Rose. Unfortunately, Robert Sprout died on the 6th of November 1927. Dr. Malenik, who was the attending physician at the time, deemed his cause of death as I can't pronounce this guys, don't kill me. Arteriosclerosis arteriosclerosis and he also suffered from cerebral hemorrhage a a post-mortem was not performed and Daisy who was now Daisy Sprouts was the sole beneficiary for the will of Mr. Robert Sprouts and in that will she inherited a total of 4,560 pounds which in today's money, like I said, take a bunch of pinch of salt, is about six mil. So not only did she get some inheritance, but she also got some money from his pension fund. So Daisy was like well off. Two husbands did and a boyfriend did. And she's just like the grieving wife. And obviously people started feeling sorry for her because... In two years, Daisy had lost two husbands. A few years after the death of her second husband, on the 21st of January 1931, Daisy married for the third and final time, and her husband now went by the name of Sidney Clarence Damalka. Okay, Damalka, remember. She's known as Daisy Demalka. He was at the time Mr. Sidney Clarence Demalka. He was a widower and like her previous two husbands, he was also a plumber. You see, I told you Daisy, like the man that could put down a pipe. And he also had a daughter by the name of Elaine Demalka. In late February of 1932, Daisy, now Daisy Demalka, traveled from Germiston on the East Strand and she traveled to Turfentain. She traveled to Turfentain and while she was there, she obtained arsenic from the chemist. Now you might ask, Awana, why did she travel all the way to Turfentain? Um, because obviously arsenic is not like something that you can just go to like clicks and say, can I please have some arsenic? Um, when she was retrieving the arsenic, the, when she was retrieving the arsenic, when she was getting it from the chemist, she didn't use the name Daisy Jamalka. Instead, she used the name of her former husband and she went by Daisy Sprout. And when she was questioned why she was buying arsenic, she just dismissed it as, nah, she's buying arsenic and she needed it to buy, to poison a sick cat. But we soon later find out that the sick cat was her son. Because shortly after she came back from Turpentine, her son Rhodes at the time, Cecil, yo, Rhodes Cecil, on the 2nd of March 1932, he fell violently ill at work after drinking a coffee from a thermos flask 
that had been prepared for him by his mother. While her son fell sick at work, a co-worker by the name co-worker of his by the name of James Webster also became violently sick. And this was because he had drank a very little amount of the same coffee that Rhodes was drinking. But unfortunately, James just went to the hospital and he recovered a few days later. The same, however, can't be said for her son Rhodes because he passed away on the following Saturday on the 5th of March, 1932, at midday at the age of 19. There are mixed reviews on like Rhodes and like mixed reviews in terms of like his personality and the type of person he was. Everyone describes him as like friendly, very nice, very easygoing guy, but his stepsister Elaine describes him as very lazy and very annoying. She didn't like him very much. Like we all don't like how that is. His cause of death was declared to be cerebral malaria and was buried at New Brixton Cemetery the following day on the 6th of March. Now, how did Daisy get arrested? Because she wasn't getting caught, no one was saying anything. All these people and these men were dying around her, but no one arrested grenade and no one was like suspicious. It seemingly became like she was like committing the perfect murders and she had done this what three four times however by the time her son Rhodes died her former brother-in-law Robert Sprouts's brother had become very suspicious of Daisy because like I said three people had died in her presence in the span of about two decades and he made his suspicions known to the police And because his suspicions had been made known to the police, on the 15th of April, what year? On the 15th of April, 1932, about a month after the death of her son Rhodes, the police were able to obtain a court order permitting them to exhume the bodies of the two deceased husbands, William Cowell and Robert Sprout as well as the recently deceased and as well as the body of the recently deceased son Rhodes Cecil Cowell and I say Rhodes Cecil Cowell because Rhodes actually when uh, Daisy and William got married she took he took the surname of his stepdad isn't that cute I wish I could take that surname but yeah, you always get what we want, not do we? So now the bodies of her two ex-husbands, not ex, like deceased husbands, were now getting resumed as well as the body of her son. However, unfortunately, the bodies of Robert Sprout and William Cowold, when they were exhumed, they were heavily decomposed but but traces of strachanine were found in the vertebrae of of the men and their bones were both found to have like a pinkish discoloration now if you watch true crime as religiously as i do you know what it means when that bone is pink it only means one thing it means that 
two men had taken or consumed pink strachanine. Now, strachanine is a colorless crystalline powder with an exceptionally like bitter taste, and it comes from strychos, nox, vermica, and other plants. And only just like a hundred milligrams constitutes as a fatal dose. Strachanine poisoning causes muscle spasms, which also causes convulsions and like violent body aches. And it was in the past; it was used as rat poison. So she gave them rat poison. Traces of arsenic were also found in the hair and fingernails of James Webster. Rhodes's colleague who had survived from the copy that Daisy gave her son. Now at the time when all of this was being discovered, Daisy had no cooking clue that the bodies of her two ex-husbands and her son had been exhumed. And a week later after the test had been conducted on all three bodies and James Webster, Daisy DeMalka was finally arrested and charged with the murder of all three men. Public interest on Daisy's case grew and it grew quite rapidly and many newspapers were covering the story quite frequently. The chemist that she bought the arsenic from in Turfentain actually saw the story in like the newspaper or like did they have TVs? I don't think so. He saw it he saw it somewhere. I think the newspaper and he recognized her as Mrs. D. L. Sprout, who had signed the poisons register, and you know what he did? He went to go snitch. Snitches get stitches, but not him. Because who gonna stitch him? Daisy, she's in jail. Daisy DeMarco's trial started on the 17th of October and lasted only 30 days. The prosecutors had a total number of 60 witnesses and the defense had less than half of that. Forensic evidence was presented by an expert toxologist. Like I said, her defense team basically had no defense and forensic evidence was presented to the court by an expert toxologist and a professor of pharmacy professor of like pharmaceutical studies from the university of Witzvartestrand and throughout the trial Daisy maintained her innocence she was like I'm innocent bitch get me out of jail get me out of jail she kept on saying she didn't do it and she was claiming that she had not been poisoned None of her husbands, not even her son. By the end of the trial, the defense had presented an immense amount of... Not the defense. By the end of the trial, the prosecution had presented an immense amount of evidence against Daisy DeMalka. And it was like looking... It was looking like this bitch is going down. However, there was a glitch. One that proved to benefit Daisy, but not a lot, just like kinda, kinda. And this was that before the judge gave out his verdict, verdict, he pointed out that the state 
could not prove conclusively that Cowlin's Sprout had died from pink strychnine poisoning, and he further said, and I quote, it does not convince me, nor does it convict the accused. But on the third count of murder, which was the murder of her son, Rose Cowell, the judge had come to an escapable conclusion, and that conclusion was that Daisy was in fact, was in fact, the murderer of her son. And it was evident due to the following evidence that I'm about to give to you. Rhodes Cowell had died of arsenic poisoning, and this was linked to her, obviously, because she had traveled to the chemist, and the chemist, the chemist ended up snitching. The coffee, fr- the coffee flask that Rhodes had drank the coffee out of had held some traces of arsenic, and the accused had also put the arsenic in the flask, and this was proven because she was the one who had prepared the co- coffee for her son on a daily basis. The only defense that the defense had on the death of her son was that he was trying to commit suicide and the judge said you know what you guys shouldn't be lawyers that's what he said he didn't say that but like I'm saying that because what the fuck after all the evidence was presented she maintained her innocence and she maintained her innocence until she was found guilty but regardless of claiming her innocence, she was found guilty of the murder of the son, Rhodes Cecil, and she was sentenced to death by hanging. Her death sentence was carried out on the morning of the 30th of December, 1932, and she was only 46 years old, and she was hung, she was hanged, sorry, she was hanged at Pretoria Central Prison. So she died, but she didn't get convicted for the murders of her two husbands, and obviously that was because they had no evidence. But like, why did she kill her son? You might ask. Because I mean, it's her son. You don't kill. It obviously seemed like her pattern and her victim was like her husbands, and she was killing them because she wanted money. But according to her, Daisy decided to kill her son because he was seemingly under the impression that he would be receiving some inheritance at the age of 21 and this was supposed to be inheritance from his father remember his father you guys remember his father the one that she met when she was at home you guys remember his father Bert you guys don't remember his father Bert y'all should be embarrassed because this this episode ain't even that long but she killed her son because he wasn't expecting inheritance. She could have just waited for him to turn 21 and just said, Dog, I need your money. But one theory is that he was demanding money from Daisy and more money than what Daisy could give him, and it was becoming a burden. And she decided to kill him. And another story is that Daisy just didn't like her son and he was a disappointment to her and he was a disappointment to her according to her because she had pampered him his whole life so she was kind of expecting that back but he really showed her any consideration in return so yeah daisy louisa hancorn de malka was buried at Jose Mambora correctional cemetery in pretoria 
30th of December 1932. This bitch is just greedy. Cause she can't even say that she was like unhappy or anything. She just she killed her husband because she wanted money. You know? Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Like Joe said in the video. Anyway. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I know it's a bit lighthearted and true crime shouldn't be lighthearted, but I feel like it's an old story and people do this all the time. I mean, she is a Gemini. We just got out of Gemini season and during Gemini season, I know most people wanted to kill someone. So yeah, thank you guys for listening and leaving reviews on my podcast. I really appreciate it, even though I suck. But yeah. But yeah. I saw. But yeah. But yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you soon. I promise I won't leave for such a long time again. Um, don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. Like my pictures. And if you guys have any case suggestions, you can leave it in the comments or if you're brave you can send me a DM I promise I'm really nice probably by chocolate or something or your blunt 